Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, Episode 6. So, a lot of stuff to talk about. Gonna try to get to everything. So, we have a couple things to talk about, a lot of it pertaining to Pro Tour. Pro Tour happened, if, in case anyone didn't watch it or just now looking at the results and everything like that. So, uh, we're gonna go through it all. We're gonna devote this entire podcast to it. But we're always going to leave time for the uh, – we have a MTG fish mail stuff to address. We will probably suspend the the trending segment, but we may talk about a certain couple cards that did well over the tournament. So, you, you know, you'll still get that information. Episode 6, all about Pro Tour. So let's just dive right into it. I have Seth and Richard here, my co-hosts as always. How you guys doing? Good. Good. All right. So Pro Tour uh, – we decided to put together a few questions that we're going to now talk about as the podcast goes on. Before we get into a few of the specific questions, let's just get the initial reactions from Pro Tour. So, Pro Tour, Richard? Yeah, uh, we had an exciting new deck, or not new, but uh, exciting deck in the in the finals in uh, Bloom Titan. Pretty much the rest was what people expected. You know, Junk was fielded uh, quite heavily on the weekend. And we saw Twin take it down. Uh, Twin's been always been good, and it still is good. We saw the resurgence of Burn, a lot of Burn running around. And uh, we saw some uh, special decks. You know, we we had Chafin with Esper Delve. And uh, <laughs> as yeah. Seth said, he, uh, he he did a Nyx Fleece Ram 0-5 <laughs> in Modern. Um, yeah. But, you know, very interesting cards. Tassiger came out strong. People were making new archetypes just for Tassiger. So overall, it was it was a pretty uh, entertaining weekend for me. And what about you, Seth? Yeah, it was a ton of fun. I mean, it definitely, I think it got stronger throughout the weekend. We started off with a Burn Mirror, which is like my least favorite matchup to watch in all of Magic. And then by the end of the day, we were watching like Primeval Titans fight through like the Splinter Twin combo. And so I think it was just a great weekend and got progressively better throughout the weekend. Uh, a lot of great players playing a lot of cool cards, some expected stuff, some unexpected stuff, but it was definitely good watching, good entertainment. Just to piggyback on what you guys were talking about, it was certainly interesting. Uh, it was pretty diverse. Seth ran up, he has a great article on MTG Goldfish that he just published, Pro Tour Fate Reforged by the Numbers. Despite Infect and Burn running, there was a lot of Infect and Burn. There was also a lot of Junk and Jun. So a lot of the things that we were talking about in previous podcasts kind of ended up happening, but there was enough variation in the format that I think it's, it was good to see Uh, again, congratulations to everyone in the top eight. Um, So I just want to pose this question. So do you think the bannings helped the format, Richard? Um, I don't know. It felt more or less the same, like junk just replaced birthing pod. You have this high value, very grindy deck. And they kind of play the same. You know, they, they play differently when you actually watch them. But the general feeling is, yeah, it takes a, a long time. The the mirrors are grindy. All the value cards come in. You know, we have Twin. Twin's always been good. So we didn't really see much new. Like, Burn is more prominent because you don't have the incidental life gain from Pod. But yeah, Modern kind of just felt the same. I didn't see anything too crazy happen. Yeah. What about you, Seth? So Bannings were... Did it, did it help out the format? I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming if we didn't have the bannings, we probably would have had one of the top five decks would have been like uh, Blue Red Delver with Treasure Cruise. Pod definitely would have been a top three deck. 
But that just kind of got replaced with Burn, which is basically like uh, the Delver deck, but without Delvers, and by Junk, which is basically, I mean, literally the face-to-face game guys, they literally said they played their Birthing Pod deck. They just replaced the Birthing Pods with Wiltleaf Leeches and Gavany Townships and went to town with the same cards. So I don't think it really changed that much. So looking at the results beforehand, this new, uh, I, I, I deemed it on my Twitter, Kabloom Titan, uh, just from the epic plays that I was seeing. So to note that one of them barely missed the top eight, uh, Sam Black, you know, lost that winning in. But Twin was, or uh, Bloom Titan rather, was seeing a lot of play even going into the Pro Tour. So I don't know. Pro Tour tells us a lot of things about the format, what the pros think of the format. But I don't know, like, is this something that can stick going forward? Do we, you know, see that, are these archetypes just locked in going forward? Or do you think we'll start seeing more variations in coming bigger modern tournaments, not just the Pro Tour. Richard? So about Bloom Titan, I don't think Bloom Titan is here to stay. I think uh, it's, to me, it's just eggs 2.0. You know, in, in the finals, you know, you're like 25 minutes into the match and what's happening, you know, Cohen's taken like 20 of that on his turn three. He's like basically playing solitaire. And it's very interesting the first time you watch it. But as a layman, you really don't know what, what he's doing. He's making a lot of intricate decisions, but we don't, we can't, like, understand how good his decisions are, and it's kind of just like eggs. Did eggs take off after, um, I think it was Sifka who won the uh, the Pro Tour with it, and I think it's just a hard deck, and I think most people will pick it up and realize they suck at it, and then they'll go play <laughs> something else. So I, I don't think it'll be here to stay, especially since it just dies to Blood Moon. So yeah, I, I think it's a, a pet deck for people. But I think, you know, you'll see interest around it in the coming weeks, but I think it's it's too hard for regular people to play. Yeah, it, they mentioned that a lot over the coverage. You know, this is not just a deck that you just pick up and you think, you know, you're going to do well with it. It's You need really tight, very good play to succeed with uh, Kabloom Titan. Again, I'm using my patent. Uh, so, Seth, yeah. You wrote an article, so break down the article a little bit for us, just so, and, and that we can get your thoughts on what you think of the archetypes going forward. Yeah, well, I, I published uh, last night my uh, By the Numbers piece for Pro Tour Fate Reforged, and basically I just went through all the decks that had at least 2% of the field, which, uh, so on day one, at least, I think it was eight players or more were playing these decks, and broke down how many of the decks ended up uh, having a six or four better, a better record, which was what was necessary for their list to be published on the mothership, and also how many of the decks made top eight, top 32, top 64. So looking that over, I mean, there was, there was a couple big winners. Bloom Titan wasn't played by that many players, eight players, but had a really good percentage of on all those categories. It put players in the top 64. It did well putting people in day two. Uh, same thing for Infect, was just missed on top eight, but the percentages on that deck were off the charts. It put so many players. Um, it had 25% of its 28 players made the top 64, which is just off the charts. And then there was a couple losers, uh, actually quite a few. Zoo performed poorly. Tron was horrible. And the yeah. biggest loser and my biggest disappointment was the blue-white-red control decks. They were basically pretty much over the top everything. They were just absolutely unplayable. And going into the weekend, that was uh, Geist of St. Traps, Celestio Colonnade. Those were some of my favorite cards, and I was really hoping for a good showing, but it didn't work out. 
Yeah, another big loser. Uh, so not really a lot of graveyard-based decks, right? I know we had Chapin. He was on that kind of weird Esper Delve Guramag Angler. I mean, I don't know what I don't know what that is, but <laughs> you know, I I'm not a pro. I know Chapin. You know, he's a better player than me. Knows a lot more than me. But I don't know, like Guramag Angler in modern. It's I don't know if like I'm more like shocked or just like I mean Guramag Angler in modern. So what's better is so, it's Guramag Angler protected by disdainful stroke. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, am I, I am I listening to modern or am I listening to Kate's uh, like limited here? Yeah. So the graveyard based strategies were was that a big loser as well? Uh, well, Seth? they didn't perform well, but they also just didn't show up. Like they were a loser before the tournament started. There was one player on Dredgevine. Uh, there was Raphael uh, Levy from France was playing a really interesting graveyard brew and did all right. But there was somewhere like maybe five players total, including Chapin and his. Uh, interesting brew that we're playing graveyard strategies and not many of them performed well we put together a couple of questions so now that we kind of just decompress and just got our our initial reactions on this awesome pro tour weekend again i i think it was very good i enjoyed watching it so we put together a couple uh questions that we are going to pose to ourselves so we'll take time on each of these feelings on burn in the format is it time for Jace the Mind Sculptor to return? Why is Control dead in modern? And we have a couple of these questions. What happened to Bob? Can Blue and Titan win when people are expecting it? So presumably playing more Blood Moons with the success of Bloom Titan in the past Pro Tour. So we're going to go down the list. So I pose this question. Feelings on Burn in the format. Richard? Yeah, so I asked this question just because I wanted to provoke Seth. Apparently he has very <laughs> strong opinions on this. <laughs> but I don't mind burn. So opening the Pro Tour with the burn mirror is a bit suspect, or at least the modern rounds of the Pro Tour. The burn mirror is not that exciting unless you're a burn aficionado. But I think burn serves a a a role in the format, and it prevents greedy play, right? Uh, everyone would be playing a zoo-like mana base where you go to 12 by turn 2 just off your mana. Uh, you know, Thought Seasons would run rampant. So Burn kind of sits there and keeps these decks in check. So I like Burn because it, you know, it, it plays a role in the metagame. And, you know, it's, it's also a fun way of playing Magic, right? Some people just like casting Burn to the face, right? So I, I think it's fine. I don't have any problems with Burn. Uh, what about you, Seth? I hate Burn. Burn is my <laughs> least favorite deck in all of Magic. It's just so linear. There's You don't make many decisions or any decisions. It's like, oh, do I throw this bolt at your face or do I throw it at your creature? And you almost always have to throw it at their face anyway, so that's not even really a decision. And the game comes down to, like, basically, does my opponent have a Feed the Clan or a Batter Skull or a Kitchen Finks? Like, once your opponent plays any of those cards, you just pretty much can't win. Like, so I just don't like Burn. I think it was a good choice for the weekend. Like, it gets in under all the junk decks when your opponents are trying to get to four and cast Siege Rhino. Especially on the play, you can burn them out before turn four pretty consistently. So it is very streamlined and efficient at burning your opponents out. It's just not fun for me. So I hope it goes away. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think it's going away. I, it's, I mean, it's been a strategy for, I mean, not even in just in modern, just in magic in general. You know, again, yeah, like Richard said, it, it just really punishes very greedy decks. And judging from every, you know, it did well in the tournament, got two top eight appearances. Modern is a pretty greedy format. I mean, 
you were just talking about junk. I mean, they were talking all weekend, you know, infect and burn. One has to count to 10, one has to count to 20, but burn doesn't really even have to count to 20 because they mentioned the junk player could crack a fetch, get a, a shock land and thought seize on turn one. And against burn, you know, you just blanketed that entire strategy while still being on your plan of burning their face. So is this a deck that can stick around for a while? What do you guys think? I think it'll always be there. It's usually one of the more affordable decks in Modern and Legacy. So people yep. will play it, and I don't know, ask Patrick Sullivan, is it a good deck? I don't know, right? It seems, <laughs> it seems fun, right? It, it makes for some epic finishes, and a lot of players don't play a, against Burn properly. Uh, it's, it's, I guess it's more true in Legacy where the, the draws can be more explosive. But in Modern, we saw some cool matches with Li Shi Qian, right? They weren't boring. The only boring thing is the mirror match, and I don't know of any deck whose mirror match is super exciting. Most of them are kind of weird, um, but I, I saw some very interesting games with burn, so I, you know, I, I enjoyed it. It wasn't bad. Yeah, they may not be interesting, but the burn mirrors are at least fast, so <laughs> at least you're not sitting there watching them the entire time. So going into the, these questions, so I think these two were go hand in hand. Why is Control dead in Modern? And is it time for Jace the Mind Sculptor to return? Richard. Yeah, so one of my Twitter followers tweeted, is it time for Jace the Mind Sculptor to return during the Pro Tour coverage? And I will say yes, because I like to see Jace. I like to see brainstorms. (laughs) I I, I love Jace. But for the actual health of the format, I'm going to have to say no. Uh, Everyone (laughs) would just jam Jace, and it would just be really bad. Twin would be, you know, every blue deck would run Jace, and they would become exponentially better right there's no there's no way to interact with jace really like he, he's just too good and you know brainstorm his plus one or his zero i mean with the uh, fetches uh you know it's just too strong for modern like you'd have to put brainstorms into the format and uh it would just become legacy which i'm all for but uh, i think it'd be a bit too powerful to be in modern right now yeah yeah certainly great thoughts before i get into you seth to chime in on this so just I'll ask you one more really quick question, Richard. So do you think, like, is it ever really a safe time for Jace to come back? Because doesn't the format just become warped around Jace? Maybe. So if if you remember, Jace was in standard, and he wasn't played for quite a while because of Bloodbraid into Blightning. So it's possible that you get an aggressive enough format that Jace is not too relevant. Like, in Legacy, you don't run Jason every deck because he's a bit slow and he doesn't go for certain strategies. So if Modern's a fast enough format, Jace could be there. But as long as people are slamming Siege Rhinos and games are going 40 minutes, then Jace will just like take over any game. Yeah. All right. So Seth, what are your thoughts? Control. Why is Control dead in Modern? Is it time for Jace? Well, I mean, I was thinking about Jace and he got one of the, like, it, you were too good in standard bannings when Modern was first created. Like, that's pretty much the initial Modern ban list was just, like, a greatest hits of standard decks over the past few years. And the thing is, that was really Wizard's mistake. Like, it wasn't that Jace was so bad in standard. It's that they printed a whole freaking Legacy deck at the same time and <laughs> let you play it in standard. Like, they just put Esper Stoneblade in standard and said, sure, this will be fine. So, yeah. I don't think Jace by itself, without Stoneforge, without Jet, like, I don't think it's that bad. Like, as Richard said, Bloodbraid is already known to keep it in check. And right now, like, is bouncing your Siege Rhino really where you want to be? Like, is 
I just, I'm not sure. I guess he improves blue decks and maybe he would help create a control deck, but I don't see that he would just obviously warp the format like he did in standard. Wait, wait, have you ever played with Jason the Mind Sculptor deck? <laughs> I play with Jason Legacy and I know he's really powerful, but I just think the pieces are missing. Like, he wasn't over the top until people started playing Stoneforge and all these shuffle effects. Like, maybe. Maybe it'll dominate the format, but I'm just not sure. Like, will it do that to modern? Really, you're still I, gonna get comboed off by Splinter Twin. You're still gonna learn lose to burn. I played with him when he was in standard, and let me tell you, the format quickly became: you play Jace or you play to beat Jace. You know, it it, it there was no really in between. So I know like how powerful he can become. I don't know in modern, but my oh, I always hesitate when it comes to. Jason Mind Sculptor, because I just know that he could just mold the meta around him. Yeah, the problem with so, Jace is you don't need to play any cards to make him good. You play four Jaces, you play 12 Fetchlands, and you, you basically have Brainstorm in Modern, and you know if you slam him down on an empty board, you're going to win. Right? You don't really need to do a lot of work to make him be good. So any deck that plans to play beyond turn four would just jam a bunch of Jaces in their deck. Well, blue decks at least, right? So I think that's the problem with Jace. He's just so good, and there's very little work needed to make him good. I'm just looking over the list, though. Like, Junk, you got Lingering Souls. That's an easy way to deal with Jace. Burn, like, traditionally is a very easy way to deal with Jace. Like, Affinity, Jace doesn't seem that good against. Effect's going to kill you before... Infect is going to kill you before Jace even hits the board. Like, how like how much would he have done against uh, the top decks at the Pro Tour? It's certainly interesting. I don't know exactly how it would play out because, I mean, he's banned right now, but I, we do know this, that uh, the traditional control deck is certainly lacking in modern. Uh, Seth, you mentioned that the blue-white-red kind of, I guess that's the closest thing we have to a real control deck. Those did very poorly. And the other end of the spectrum, we've mentioned this in other podcasts, Burn, yeah, and Infect, but there's not really an actual aggressive deck. Uh, you mentioned again in your article, again, it's on uh, mtggoldfish.com, Seth laid out the numbers for Pro Tour. Zoo, you know, showed up but didn't really do so well, right? Yep. So there's not very, like, traditional, there's just there's just this lot, a lot of these tempo and very... Uh, mid-range kind of decks with some other little decks sprinkled in there. So, interesting questions. We'll just move right along. I think that kind of helps segue into this. What happened to Bob, Richard? Mountains happened to Bob. <laughs> so, yeah. the, the problem bolts. is if you look at most junk or jun builds, they're now running Tassiger, they're running Siege Rhinos. They're running fairly expensive spells. You don't want to flip them with Bob. You flip, you know, if don't. you flip a... Siege Rhino or Tasker with Bob, you basically just gave your burned opponent one or two spells, right? And they only needed seven spells to kill you. So the direct damage burn plan is kind of just countering out Bob, and these decks already have enough built-in two-for-ones that you don't really need Bob to, to do that. So unfortunately, Bob doesn't really have a place in the metagame right now. Hopefully he'll return to prominence one day. I, I don't know. He's a very fun card. He's one of my most favorite cards, so... Yeah, there certainly have been rumblings that, you know, Bob is on the decline. Red base spells and mountains certainly don't help that cause. Uh, Seth? Yeah, I agree with Richard. I mean, I think that is the answer. Even though 
on first glance, it's surprising to see that 30% of the field was uh, green-black X decks and none of them, basically. I think there were 18 bobs among, like, 150 decks, 18 total bobs. So it was a little surprising on first glance, but I think that's true. I mean, you're flipping more expensive cards and your opponent's trying to burn you out, so I guess it's just not the right time. I don't know why other decks, like... Could Bob have a home in burn? Like, or is that deck just some are splashing black already for like bump in the night? Is that uh, unreasonable? They're certainly splashing black uh, for bump in the night, but yeah, I just think Bob makes your mirrors too like so bad, and burn is so popular that you just don't want to like drop a Bob when they're dropping like an Adelon or the Great Revel, and you know just going on their own plan. I think really the only successful part of the black splash is you get access to you know certain removal spells thought sees for various matchups and you know bump in the night just being like <laughs> four more bolts in your deck what do you think richard uh, i think bob in the burn mirror is interesting I, I don't know what uh the average converted mana cost per damages but i would imagine it's somewhere around like one for three damage so if you're flipping a card with bob you're coming out ahead in the damage race assuming you're not mana constrained so I guess it depends on how the bird mirror comes down. If you're just constrained on mana until someone dies, then Bob's no good. But uh, if you actually have enough mana to cast your spells, Bob should be pretty good in the bird mirror. But having said that, I don't know if you want to splash Bob you know, just for the bird mirror. I don't know how prominent that's going to be. Um, you know, I, I would rather see Bob in kind of the Junk Jun-style decks. That's his most natural home. And like Seth mentioned, he's nowhere to be seen and... Uh, I don't see him showing up in the foreseeable future with all of these kind of expensive mid-range cards being played. I, I agree with that. It, it's going to be a long time before Bob makes his triumphant returns with all these Tazigers and Siege Rhinos. So going into the kind of last question here. So can Bloom Titan win when people are expecting it? Seth? Uh, I don't think so. Like... Uh, there weren't that many Blood Moon. Like, Blood Moon is the biggest problem. And surprisingly, there weren't that many Blood Moons. Some of the twin decks were playing Blood Moon. Some were even playing four Blood Moons main. But if you look through all the mono red decks um, and the other decks that could play Blood Moon, most of them weren't. So I think that Sam Black is really good at magic. Like, really, really good at magic. So I think he knew that Junk was going to be the biggest deck in the format. Then he also knew that Mono Red was going to be a big deck to beat Junk, and that Mono Red typically isn't playing Blood Moons because they don't deal damage. So he said, man, if 50% of the field is going to be decks that aren't playing Blood Moon, and these are going to be the decks at the top tables, Bloom Titan is a really good choice. So I think it was an awesome metagame call, but I expect more people to play Blood Moons if Bloom Titan ever becomes a Tier 1 deck. What about you, Richard? Kabloom Titan. Yeah, I don't know about that name, but uh, <laughs> Bloom Titan, like like Seth said, it, it dies pretty hard to Blood Moon as built right now. So the question is, can you build Bloom Titan in such a manner to not just scoop to Blood Moon? Um, I'm not an expert on the deck, I don't know, but you could conceivably play more counter spells or some bounce spells or something to try to handle Blood Moon. So that's, that's going to be the, the real question going forward, because Splinter Twin is a real deck in the format. It's very easy for them to play Blood Moon, so you should expect to face a lot of Blood Moons as a Bloom Titan player. One barely missed the top eight, one got into the top eight. I would have to think that they took into account that the deck is fragile and it kind of just scoops to Blood Moon. 
Uh, I don't know if they were tailoring, like like you said, Seth, that a lot of the field was junk and red, and Bloom Titan is good in those matchups, but it's certainly interesting. I think the deck is here to stay. I think it might have to do something to kind of shore up those really bad matchups, but, you know, it, it made a really far, like, really deep run, got second, in the the tournament, and one barely missed the top eight. So I think if both of them got into the top eight, we might ha- be having a slightly different discussion about them. So I just can't say it's just chance that they're just going to be fizzled out after this tournament. Before we get into, we're going to talk about Magic Origins. Sorry to not say that in the beginning of the cast. We're going to talk about Magic Origins. It was spoiled and released on the Pro Tour coverage. So we're going to chime in on that, and then we're going to get into hashtag fish mail. So before we get into that, any final thoughts on any of the questions that we talked about? Yeah, I wanted to uh, go back to the is control dead in modern question, because a, a lot of people like playing control, and there's no viable alternative. Even if Jace isn't brought back, can you play control? And I think the answer going forward is probably no, and I think that's a good thing, because I think it means modern is looking like a true eternal format. If you look at Vintage and Legacy, there aren't really any control decks outside of Miracles and Legacy. And the primary reason is cards are too powerful. You can't lock down an opponent and expect to lock them down top deck after top deck, you know, with any consistency. So most control decks kind of just live long enough and then they combo off or kind of finish the opponent in one turn. You're not going to see the standard style lockdown, Nathalia Drown Yard you over 20 turns or... Sphinx's Revelations until you deck yourself, you know, like, you don't see those controls decks because cards are too powerful, right? So things like Scapeshift, uh, even Splinter Twin could be a control deck if built that way. They kind of just control the game long enough and then combo off and that's it. All right, so we covered all of those questions that we wanted to cover. So now we're going to talk about Magic Origins. And so I guess uh, M2015 was the last core set, right? So... Now we're going into Dragons of Tarkir, the Modern Masters 2015, and now we have Magic Origins. So if anyone hasn't seen that, Magic Origins was spoiled on the Pro Tour coverage. What are your guys' thoughts? Magic Origins. Seth? I mean, it looks interesting. I mean, basically it is the final core set. Like, they're calling it Origins, but I think really it's uh, kind of this transitional final core set that's leading into the new block structure that'll start in the fall. So I expect it to be a lot like a typical core set. From the previews we saw, we didn't see any cards, but we saw some artwork. We saw a lot of the Planeswalkers you would expect in a core set. Uh, The interesting thing is they kind of have an early life and later life before they were a Planeswalker, after they were a Planeswalker theme. So Liliana was white uh, in her early picture, uh, Jace was green. So there's some weird things going on with colors, which has led to some crazy speculation. So I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Uh, I'll defer to Richard for now. I'm super excited. This this is the set I'm looking most forward to between Dragons of Tharkir and Modern Masters. Magic Origins is the set I'm looking at. And the reason is everyone loves Planeswalkers, and I want to know where these people came from, right? I want to know what the new cards are. Are we going to get kind of like Venser-like cards that are just, you know, normal creatures that do really weird things? Are we going to get uh, Jay of Ballard cards that are like the old Planeswalker-style Deathrite Shaman creature that does four different things? Or are we going to get something weird, like a level-up mechanic or a Planeswalker flip card? 
Like, no one knows. And it's going to be very exciting to see how it can get, like, little Jace into uh, Jace Bellerin or maybe Jace the Vine Sculptor. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it certainly seems uh, like a good way to insert some Planeswalker reprints or something like that. But this was my initial reaction. So they announced that, you know, Magic is as big as it's ever been. So the player base is the largest it's been since Magic first came out. And I think they're starting to realize that they have to take uh, this, like, they have to relook at their story and sort of incorporate their story. You know, there's there's a lot of fragmented stuff in their story. Not all of it. It's kind of confusing if you were really to sit down and look at all the lore of Magic the Gathering. So I think they're reevaluating that, you know, part of the game because there's a lot more interest of, about it uh, now, now that there's so many players playing it. They want to know where all these characters are coming from, how does the story pan out with all these awesome planeswalkers and these named characters. Uh, my, this, my speculation is, is that I don't know if we're going to see a brand new planeswalker card for every planeswalker that they mentioned. I think they mentioned, um, so they mentioned Gideon, Jace, Liliana, uh, Nyssa, and Chandra, right? So my guess is that they will have a regular colored version of all these cards at rare, the, you know, legendary creatures, and then have the Planeswalker version of these cards. So that's my guess. Uh, I saw a few people speculating the same thing. So that's, that's what I think would be the most, you know, logical thing for them to do. You know, it certainly could be that they mess up the color wheel and, like, there's a blue Lily, you know, blue Gideon or something like that. Uh, I wonder how they're going to keep going with it in the future if they just hone in interest on each different Planeswalker as, like, Magin's Origins 2 or something like that, where they do all different Planeswalkers. I don't know. How do you think it is going to go going forward, Richard? Well, this is M16, right? So I don't think we're going to get yeah, technically. Magic Origins 2. I think this is just the the final set. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they take whatever mechanic they're introducing to, to do these origin stories and bring them into feature sets. I think that's going to be the more likely thing. I think, you know, we'll, we'll see different origin cards in future expansions, but I don't think there'll be a new Magic Origins 2, seeing as this is the last core set. Right. Uh, Seth? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think this is the last core set and it's unlikely to happen again. One thing I wanted to know is one of the big speculations I've heard is that they're going to be the double face cards based mostly on uh, when Wizards announced the set, they said it would have 277 cards, Ooh. and then they quickly backtracked and said, no, it's actually 272, which would account to the five Planeswalkers potentially being counted twice for their backsides. So that's one of the big conspiracy theories that's been out there. Uh, Evan Irwin from Star City Games has been promoting, not not the conspiracy part of it, but that's his thought, <laughs> is it's going to be double face cards. <laughs> So I think that would be really cool. I think that your legendary creature uh, hypothesis is also very likely. That was my first thought when I saw uh, the set announced. So I'm definitely excited for it. Planeswalkers are the face of magic these days, and it's going to be that way for the considerable future. So Wizards really needs to keep investing in the stories of these characters because they are essential to the game at this point, and that's not going to change. Certainly interesting. So um, any kind of... Weird theories that you have, Richard, on, on this set? Yeah, I think we're going to get fetch planeswalkers. I think <laughs> you're going to get some kind of weird legendary creature, like a one to cast 1-1, one, one, and it's going to have a trigger 
you know, when it triggers, you you can sacrifice it to go fetch a Planeswalker card named Chandra. Ah. So maybe, like, if you deal five damage of burn this turn to your opponent's base, you can sacrifice Chandra Nalar and get a Planeswalker card called Chandra. So oh, I'm going to go with the fetch Planeswalker. Very interesting. Uh, that That's something that I have not thought of. I, it, I would love to see that. That's certainly a great design element. So that kind of wraps up the Magic Origins. Uh, certainly excited for that. Uh, we have a lot of things up on the schedule. I think they mentioned on, on camera, I don't know if you guys caught this, that uh, they're expecting the Modern Masters 2015 to be the largest face-to-face card game event ever. Yeah, so, I think they said gaming event in like yeah, all just games. general, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, because you know they they did open it up to other countries this time around. So I'm very stoked for the upcoming schedule of Magic. With that being said, we covered a lot of what we wanted to cover. Uh, we'll just go into the last segment on. We have a, a fish mail for us to address, and then we'll kind of just wrap things up. So Captain Lupo. Uh, discreet observer. Do the foil? Do the prices of foil Russian, Korean, Japanese cards recently really reflect their true value? Considering they are the print run now are much greater than in the past. Uh, don't see them being as rare. Um, so I'll let you guys chime in on this, Richard. Uh, so I have no idea about the actual print runs. I don't know what the numbers are. Yeah. But just from a uh, supply perspective, it's it's just hard to acquire these foreign foils. Right, like you can't just go to your game store and pick them up. They're not going to have as many, as much supply. So yeah. I think that alone should uh, account for an increase in price. But my guess is supply itself has a factor here, which uh, I'm not sure. So I'll just defer to Seth on that. Yeah. Seth. Well, I mean, I mean, we don't know the numbers. We don't. Wizards never releases numbers of how much of a set is sold or printed. Uh, what we do know, though, is if you just like take it from a meta perspective. There's a lot of English-speaking countries in the world. Like, you got Great Britain, you got all of the United States, all of Canada. Like, that's a large portion of the Magic population that is buying English version cards from their local gaming store. Then you have Russia, Korea, Japan. These are small countries with small populations, and uh, they're not selling booster boxes of Korean cards to Mexico or to Canada or the United States in anywhere near the amount they're selling them in Korea. So just right. by default, their population is so much smaller. Yeah. There's less Korean foils, less Japanese foils. So even if the supply is going up uh, because more Korean and Japanese and Russian cards are being printed, it's still a huge difference between English and these smaller countries and languages. Yeah, I, I think you guys answered that perfectly. I'm just going to piggyback real quick. Like, I suspect the supply to be a little higher than it has been in previous years. I mean, I notice like if I go to my, you know, if you go to a local gaming store, I'm sure that they may have some foreign printings, but it's not much. It's not, it's still not as much as like, they're not selling English, like non-English to us, like over English, if that makes sense. Like, like you said, Seth, they're not selling in Japan more English boxes than they are Japanese boxes. It's just, I, I still think the supply is low enough that um, the it shouldn't really affect the foils, or, or even non-foils for that matter. Um, so I think that's as best as we can answer that question. With that being said, 
I will open it up to any kind of final thoughts on anything we covered in the podcast, but I think we covered everything we wanted to cover. So, again, exciting time, Pro Tour, a lot of things coming up, Magic, you know, Modern Masters 2015, Dragons of Tarkir, and Magic Origins. So, final thoughts, Richard? Yeah, so so one thing I didn't really bring up about the Pro Tour is how grindy some of the matches were. Yeah. And I think Wizards needs to stop printing incidental life gains. Like, we don't... <laughs> We don't need people gaining more life and, you know, stabilizing from one life back to, like, 30. You know, in formats where you have Batter Skull, you have Siege Rhinos, games can go really long. So I'd like to see less incidental life gain just to kind of speed up games. Yeah. Uh, Seth? Well, I just wanted to mention, like, we just came off a great pro tour, and these next six months might be the craziest six months in the history of Magic. Like, if you just look at the upcoming schedule, we're, like, Six weeks away from another set being released, like probably about three weeks away from spoilers. Then two weeks after that's a pro tour. Six weeks after that, we have Modern Masters. A week or two after that, the biggest gaming weekend ever for the Modern Masters GPs. And then six weeks after that, we have Magic Origins. Like this is an insane time for Magic. So it's really just an exciting time to be a Magic player. And these next six months are going to be awesome. Yeah, uh, we we mentioned that uh, in a previous podcast. I mean, yeah, it's we just have a lot on our plate. So I guess before we sign out, uh, I, I just want to ask Seth real quick. So how badly did we do for um, uh, Pro Tour, like in, in a finance perspective? <laughs> um, I uh, I did all right. I think <laughs> I'm pretty disappointed by all the control cards I was really high on uh, not showing up at all. So that was disappointing. I bought some of the uh, hive minds from the mm-hmm. amulet deck and i'm not sure how that's going to work out still so uh i think it was a uh probably a neutral weekend for me overall I, i'm gonna say neutral too i just figured it was funny to say like <laughs> I, you know i stocked up on a lot of things a lot of stuff didn't really pan out a couple did obviously the bloom titan stuff um but i'm still holding on to uh scavenging ooze i keep talking about it but hey it made the it made the top eight well, wait, wait, like, wait, 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 Seth, did Crucible of the Spirit Dragon show up in your top 64 analysis? <laughs> wait, Crucible didn't show up, but Travis Wu just published a five-color dragon list on Channel Fireball. Oh, the boy. first card he mentioned was for Crucible of the Spirit Dragon. Oh, my God. So you know, my hopes are high. I I actually read that article, and listen, I'm pulling for you, Seth. <laughs> I want you to turn those, you know, turn those around and make some you know, good profit on him. And I saw the article and this is no disrespect to Travis Wu whatsoever, but I mean, Seth, that, that, that did not look good. So I would be really hoping for some more coverage. Um, so, um, Hey, you win some, you lose some. Yeah. You win some, you lose some, right? All right. So we covered everything we wanted to cover. Thank you everyone for listening to us this week, episode six. And thank you for all the fish mail. This is, Myself, Chaz, I have Richard and Seth here, and the MTG Goldfish Podcast crew signing out.